I used to get up all the time at night to go to the bathroom. It was driving me crazy. I tried every different kind of prescription medication out there. Finally, I found Preso brand Apuntima. It comes in men's and women's formulas, is an all-natural herbal remedy that helps with urinary problems. Get Preso. It helped me, and it can help you too. Visit Preso.com. That's Preso.com. Shalom to all you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, His people, Israel, and all of mankind. Shalom and welcome to this week's edition of Noahide Nations here on Israel National Radio. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and today I'm going to be hosting the show on my own again. My co-host and partner, Jim Long, uh, unfortunately, had his trip extended, uh, which he was unaware of, and got late notice on it, as did I. And so I'm going to go ahead and do this show on my own. And uh, Jim, I, I hope you've had a successful trip, and Hashem has blessed you, and will bless you with a safe return home. But I do have to say, please, please, get yourself up off that lounge chair on the beach get back to the hotel pack a bag and get back here we need you my friend Anyway, folks, it's really good to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this next hour. Uh, we have a what I think is a very interesting show. You know, is the founder of Noahide Nations. I I get a lot of e- emails from all over the world, from all kinds of people, and one of the main things I, I get is that they've heard about the Noahide laws. In fact, if they're listeners to Israel National Radio, they've even heard Jim and I uh, talk about the seven laws and and I've just listed out the the main categories and what they're really looking for is something a little bit more in depth and I'd like to go ahead and and address that as best we can on a basic level here today and certainly if you have any additional questions uh, regarding these seven laws or anything else please feel free to email us at noahide at IsraelNationalRadio.com. That's Noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, at IsraelNationalRadio.com. And I'd kind of like to uh, to dedicate this show to peace. Because, my friends, honestly, Hashem knew what he was doing when he gave these seven commandments to all of mankind. And I'm dedicating it to the real roadmap for peace. Peace is the ultimate here on planet Earth, and it's what our role is, is to to live in harmony with that which Hashem has created. Now, before I get into some of the specifics of the seven laws, I'd I'd like to go ahead and and do a little groundwork and and kind of do an introduction to the uh, universal laws that Hashem provided to all of mankind. And uh, uh, the seven laws of Noah, often referred to as the Noahide laws, are really just a set of seven moral imperatives that, uh, according to the Talmud, were given by God to Noah as, as binding set laws for all of mankind to follow. Now, according to Judaism, any non-Jew who lives according to these laws is regarded as a righteous Gentile and is assured of a place in the world to come, or olam haba in, in, in Hebrew, which is the Jewish concept of heaven. 
and adherents or people who uh, observe these seven Noahide laws are basically called Noahides. Now, there is a, a bit of controversy in that, that uh, some folks believe that, that everyone is a Noahide, and that's true to a degree, because I tend to talk about it in terms of contemporary times. And, for example, uh, the, the phrase B'nai Noah, children of Noah, is what you would basically consider all of mankind. I mean, even the Jewish people could be considered uh, B'nai Noah, even though they were given... a an additional large number of mitzvot when uh, the revelation at Mount Sinai occurred. But for Noahides, for non-Jews, I guess you could say indeed that everyone who is a non-Jew would be considered B'nai Noah. However, I believe in these modern times, for distinction purposes, uh, I agree that Noahide should be uh, uh, defined as those who adhere or observe the seven Noahide laws. And speaking of Mount Sinai, uh, un- unquestionably, the Ten Commandments are the most famous uh, religious document in the world. Uh, however, actually calling them the Ten Commandments is actually an incorrect translation of their real Hebrew name, which should more correctly be translated as the Ten Articles. Now, these ten articles or commandments actually encompass the entirety of the 613 commandments with which the Jewish people are commanded to keep and is what separates the Jewish people from the rest of mankind or non-Jews. And very similarly, the seven Noahide commandments or articles given to Noah uh, are also evolving into 66 to 70 subcategories and ultimately both the 613 and uh, the 66 actually evolve into quite literally thousands. Uh, Interestingly enough, even the earliest commentators on the Torah write that the text of the Ten Commandments as they appear in Exodus 22 through 2013, uh, interestingly enough, it alludes to all 613 commandments. Very interesting. One very important allusion uh, within this, though, in the original Hebrew text of the Ten Commandments, there is literally 620 letters. My friend, 620 happens to be 613 plus 7. According to some rabbinical authorities, the seven Noahide commandments complement the 613 commandments given to the Jewish people. Kind of another uh, amazing little fact is that uh, uh, the number 620 is the numerical value of the Hebrew word for crown. And Rav Yitzhak Ginsberg uh, states in uh, his book, Kabbalah and Meditation for the Nations, we find that the Jewish people who carry the responsibility of the 613 commandments together with the righteous Gentiles who are responsible for the seven commandments, together they would adorn the Almighty's crown of kingship over the world with the 620 jewels being the commandments of our Creator expressed unto all of mankind. 
Now, hopefully, when Jim and I are able to uh, get the opportunity to interview with uh, Rabbi Ganuth, who is uh, Rabbi Ginsburg's editor, uh, hopefully we can get some more in-depth clarification on this particular concept. Now, I must add here, before we continue on any further, that these seven laws did not originate with Noah. Six of these laws originated with Adam, and they were uh, given to him by Hashem, and of course Adam was created in the image of God. What differentiates the two is that the seventh one that was provided was that we are not to eat the limb of a living animal, which I will elaborate on a little bit later. But that's the distinction between what Adam had and what Noah had, and that's why they are called the Noahide laws, because we're commanded by Hashem as mankind to observe all seven of these laws. Now, in the Torah portion uh, called Noah, it is the one that is most associated with righteous Gentiles. It begins in uh, Genesis 6-9 and actually ends in uh, 11-32. And Parsha Noah starts with Hashem describing Noah's character. And he says that Noah was a righteous and earnest man among the people of his generations. And he walked with God. And this can be found in Genesis 6.10. So therefore, it only stands to reason that every non-Jew who wishes to walk with God should seek to emulate Noah. And remember, my friends, it was due to Noah's righteousness that the human race was saved from extinction during the flood. You'll recall in Genesis 6, 11 through 13, God tells us that the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and beheld that it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways on earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come. The earth is filled with violence because of them, and so I will destroy them with the earth. And again, that is in Genesis 6, 11 through 13. And we see that, that here Hashem is relating to Noah why the end of mankind has come. It is through violence, and many rabbis teach that that violence actually represents theft. And that corruption was very prevalent uh, during those times. And uh, corruption can be seen as, as a multitude of things, uh, including theft, uh, fraud, uh, uh, bearing false witness, and, and a whole host of things that we'll be getting into a little bit later. Now, the rabbis tend to teach that mankind was actually destroyed as a result of theft which is very interesting. It's a very interesting uh, uh, concept and one that I hope we can explain at a later date. But let's get back into the, the seven laws and, and what, they, what they mean for us. Uh, as you know, uh, Noah and his family came out of the ark, which they had spent 120 years building. And once the flood receded, this is when God formed this new covenant with them pertaining to the seven Noahide laws. And hence, this was mandatory for all of humanity. He blessed Noah, he blessed his family, and instructed them in the ways of these seven laws. And he then goes on to say, I have now given you everything, 
and thus of the blood of your souls I will demand an account. This can be found in Genesis 9, 3 through 5. And what he's referring to here is that every individual uh, personally by themselves is going to be held accountable and responsible for keeping or not keeping these seven Noahide laws. As I mentioned earlier, there are seven categories under this umbrella known as the seven Noahide laws or the universal laws or the rainbow covenant, what have you. And there are seven main categories which encompass another 66, which then encompass literally thousands. But there is an order to these seven laws. And the very first one is a prohibition against worshiping any entity other than the one true creator. And that one true creator, my friends, you can find in the Torah. You can find in the Humash, the five books of Moshe. Uh, the next one would be a prohibition against murder. And then we have a prohibition against adultery. We have a prohibition against theft. We have a prohibition against blaspheming God's name. We have a prohibition of uh, eating the flesh of a live animal. And then finally, we have a positive commandment to establish a court system to ensure a just society based on these laws. So one in, important thing to note here, uh, when I mean a lot of questions that I get kind of revolve around this as well. It's uh, uh, the question of what is the role of the Jewish people, and what's my role is is a Noahide here in, in God's creation, and why do the Jews have ten commandments and the rest of mankind has seven commandments? Well, my friends, that's a, a very in-depth study, but I want to give you kind of a, a surface-level understanding uh, of that. And we need to go to Genesis 17.1. And uh, in Genesis 17.1, Hashem says to Abram, who was 99 years old at the time, that Hashem appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me, and be perfect. Now, what's interesting about this, if we go back to what I had stated earlier of Noah's character stated by God, he said that he walked with God. And here we see in Genesis 17.1, Hashem is, is coming to him as El Shaddai, the sufficient one, and telling Abram to walk before him and be perfect. So here we have two distinctions for the Jewish people. It's walking before Hashem or to lead. And the other is for the Noahide in which to emulate Noah we would be walking with God. So in other words, the Jewish people would be leading the way and the non-Jewish people would be following and therefore walking with the divine. When we consider the concept of the Jewish people leading the way, this is why they're referred to as a light unto the nations. Hashem also told them that you are to be a priestly 
nation. So therefore, more is expected from the priestly nation or the priests as opposed to the congregation that would basically be the 70 nations. You didn't hear God say to any of the 70 nations that we would be a priestly nation. No, he said it to the Jewish people. And so therefore, within this verse uh, implanted, or I should say embedded in this verse, would be an understanding that the Jews are to lead. Walk before me and be perfect. Whereas we as Noahides, we are perfect in walking with God. Now, I mentioned earlier that there is indeed an order to these seven commandments. Uh, Some of the rabbis go by how it is stated in the Talmud. Others go by how it is stated in the written uh, uh, Torah. Uh, Others uh, go by the significance and importance of each one of the commandments. But in either case, it would seem that the most important one is not to commit idolatry. Now, if we look at the order, why is that number one? Well, one of my rabbis has explained to me and to a, a good many other people, and I've heard this taught by other rabbis as well, is that if a person, if a human being is willing to deny their true creator, they are in essence denying his commandments, therefore the Torah, and therefore for them to commit adultery or murder or theft is far more easier. I mean, if you're willing to deny God, particularly deny his existence, it becomes very easy to not be accountable or feel like you're not accountable or responsible for anything that you would do. So by breaking, by violating that first commandment of not committing idolatry, you have a propensity to be able to commit other sins further on down the line in the areas of theft, in the areas of uh, idolatry, uh, committing blasphemy, etc., etc. The sages also teach us that when we commit a sin for the first time, when we violate Hashem's commandments to us the first time, it's a case of feeling the guilt. We feel tremendous guilt when we we do something like that. However, if we come back and commit the same sin again, we don't feel as bad. And then if we come back and do it a third time, we feel even far less accountable for having committed the sin. So, in other words, we don't feel responsible or accountable to Hashem. And once you get past the third time, it can become a habit. It can become just an everyday thing where it's okay to go ahead and do it. We can just look around our society and see that this escalation of sin is entirely true. I mean, let's take abortion just as an example. Uh, do you remember back when abortion was a was a primitive concept? I mean, how could anyone want to kill an unborn child? It was just primitive animal-like thinking. And yet here we are today where we're debating on whether or not the baby should be aborted at three months, six months, and by the time it's all said and done, it'll be at nine months. As soon as the child comes out, they'll abort it right then and there. 
Another glowing example of this is the homosexuality. I mean, uh, back in the day, it uh, was taboo. It was uh, it was very very forbidden. I mean, nobody talked about it. Uh, it I mean, it was an embarrassing thing. And nowadays, we're to the point where not only do we have gay rights, we have uh, gay Pride Day parades where they are allowed to go out and, you know, prance on display for entire communities to see, and uh, to the point where uh, they're even getting married. I mean, what a violation of Hashem's Torah, and it all started out basically being unheard of and we can see through the escalation year after year after year after year of the continuation of the sin that it gets worse and worse and worse to where today we now have even politicians who are shouting from the the building tops that i'm gay and you are commanded to like it it's a sad commentary indeed when I have to sit here and tell you that as a result of the continued escalation of these violations against Hashem's Torah, today I sit before you telling you that we have a government, and I should say governments around the world, that are protecting those who violate Hashem's Torah. It's absolutely amazing. Well, I'm going to go ahead and stop with the examples right there because it's uh, beginning to make my head hurt, and uh, and I don't want to make your head hurt. So uh, just let it be said, uh, and let it be enough to be said that the escalation of sin has become apparent, and so have the protections for it by our officials. Now, uh, we're coming up on, on our break, and I want to tell you that when we come back from the break, we're going to go into a little bit deeper exploration of each one of these uh, seven categories of the seven laws. We're going to find out a little bit more in depth about what it means not to commit idolatry, not to commit murder, not to commit theft, and not to commit any of these uh, seven uh, uh, laws and, and not to commit any violations of them. And hopefully through this exploration, I'm going to be able to provide you with some everyday, day-to-day violations of these that I'm fairly certain most of us don't even think about and haven't even considered. But before we get to that break, for those that are interested in doing their own real in-depth study on these seven laws, there's a number of books, and uh, they're available on the Noahide Nations website. Uh, And I'm just going to give you a few titles here. Uh, A Light Unto the Nations by uh, Rabbi Yoel Schwartz. Uh, The Seven Colors of the Rainbow by Rabbi Yirmiyahu Binman. Uh, Also, The Path of the Righteous Gentile. Uh, There is also The Rainbow Covenant by Michael Dallin. And another good one is The Noahide Code by Alan Cecil. And again, these are all available on the Noahide Nations website. And you'll also find an enormous number of educational articles on the site that pertain to this very same subject. And again, stick around, folks. We've got a lot of activity coming up here after the break. So we'll see you on the other side, right here on Israel National Radio. Praying for 40 days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you, too, can have a 40-day prayer. Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf 
or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menasha Sofair's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben Gurion International Airport. Online at msofairairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menasha Sofair Airport Travel. Speed and service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com. Welcome back, everybody. I appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, here on Israel National Radio. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, my co-host and partner, Jim Long, isn't going to be here today because his business trip got extended. However, we are praying for his speedy and safe return and look forward to having you back on the show, Jim. We've been talking about the seven Noahide laws, and as you recall at the top of the show, I I mentioned that I'm dedicating this to peace. I'm dedicating it to world peace, because my friends, if everyone in the world, every man, woman, and child were to keep these seven laws given by God to Noah, we would have an outbreak of peace that would be so tremendous. Quite frankly, I don't know if we would know what to do with it if it were to have happened. But I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to the day because I'd sure like to give it a try. But this is indeed the true roadmap to peace. God knew what he was doing when he gave these to Noah. And I'm not talking about the roadmap to peace between the Palestinians and Israel. I'm talking about the roadmap to peace for all of mankind on this entire planet called Earth. So let's go ahead and jump right into this by doing a quick review of just what are these seven categories of the Noahide laws. And we start off with probably the most important one, and that's the prohibition against worshiping any entity other than the one true creator. We also have a prohibition against blaspheming God's name. There's also the prohibition against murder. Prohibition against theft. There's also a prohibition against idolatry. And there's a prohibition against eating the flesh of a living animal. And finally, a, a positive commandment to establish a court system to ensure a just society all around the world. So let's go ahead and start with the single most important one, I believe, and that is not to commit idolatry. What does it mean not to commit idolatry? Well, there's a number of subcategories within this large category of not committing idolatry to help us understand this a little bit more. So let's go ahead and start going through some of those and uh, see if we can identify some uh, everyday common sorts of things that are occurring around us that would demonstrate idolatry. For example, uh, the first one we could look at is uh, uh, the prohibition against entertaining the thought that there exists a deity except Hashem, except the true creator of all things. So what would this mean? What would an example be? Well, an example would be, my friends, uh, would be Jesus, 
would be Muhammad, would be uh, Buddha, and quite frankly, there is a whole list of uh, so-called gods that if we were to even think that they are a deity, that they are a god, that, my friends, is considered idolatry. And we are in violation of God's Torah. We are in violation of our Creator's command not to commit idolatry. Another one is uh, against making any graven images. And quite frankly, against uh, having anyone else make one of these graven images for us. Uh, Another prohibition within this larger category would be against making idols for use by others. In other words, when you're traveling down the highways and byways and you come along a a religious shop and you walk in and you might see uh, an image of Jesus uh, up on a, a cross This, my friends, is uh, an item that is an idol that was actually made for your use. This is considered idolatry by the purchaser as well as the person who created it. Uh, There's also a prohibition against making any forbidden statues, even when they are for ornamental purposes. Uh, Number five, uh, against bowing to any idols. Uh, and certainly not to sacrifice nor to pour any libations nor to burn incense before any idols, even where it is not even customary uh, to worship the, this particular idol in that fashion. We absolutely cannot do this. Uh, number six in this category would be against worshiping idols in any of their customary manners of worship. In other words, in, in worshiping, uh, in, in, I'm very familiar with the Christian uh, uh, way of worshiping, uh, we're not allowed to do this even in the customary forms of worship to Jesus. Also against causing our children to pass through the fire in the worship of Molech. This is actually specifically stated uh, in the Torah, and Molech was a false god in which the the worshippers of Molech would actually sacrifice their children by way of fire. And there's actually many steps that they could actually do, many levels. You could just pass before the fire with the child or actually put the child in the fire, and this would determine your elevation to this particular false god. Another one would be against the practice of Av. Av Av is a divination using a mantra uh, to obtain a meditative trance to commune with the dead. I'm sure we've seen uh, advertisements for these so-called people who are able to uh, 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 do this. They, they either claim to do it or they can't actually do it. Uh, well, the thing we need to remember is, is the answer to the question, why did God give us these commandments? It's because he knew we could do it. So, my friends, there are folks out there that can actually talk to the dead. But God told us not to. And there's a very good reason for that. And the Creator knows that reason. Whether we want to believe it or not, it is irrelevant. 
also against the practice of uh, Yudonai, which involves uh, sorcerers, uh, soothsayers, magic, you know, magicians. Uh, these are all violations of Torah. They're violations of idolatry. Uh, and then lastly, against turning to idolatry, whether it be in word, uh, in thought, in deed, or by any observance that may draw us to its worship. So, my friends, there's a great number of subcategories here just within the category of idolatry. Now, there are other things that would also figure into a violation of Torah. And I'm going to give you an example. Many of us uh, are familiar that there's a lot of people out there whose very lives exist around money. Money has become their God. How? Because money dictates their very life. It dictates their thoughts. It dictates their actions. It dictates virtually everything that they do in their life. So therefore, money can be considered idolatry. Even though you're not setting up a stack of money and bowing down and, and worshiping it, it is indeed a form of idolatry. And what about people? Do we ever worship people? Well, no, not in the conventional sense that we understand worship. We don't bow down. We don't call people gods. And yet, when we think of professional athletes, we think of uh, actors and actresses, uh, also musicians, uh, songwriters, people who are performing on stage. I mean, we even have a show called American Idol. That in and of itself makes a huge statement. This is indeed a form of idolatry. No, and it's not because they're gods or that we think that they're gods or anything like that. It has to do with our actions. If you look at all these subcategories of the category of idolatry, these are all actions. So our actions of uh, uh, involving ourselves to such a capacity that we would wind up stalking uh, an individual, that, my friends, is considered idolatry. And it's just you're in violation of Torah. You are in violation of the commandments given by God to mankind. So let's go ahead and, and jump into the next category of murder. Now, we all pretty much understand, I think, that if I were to go out and, and shoot somebody or stab somebody or, or strangle them uh, and, and cause their death, I would be a murderer. I would be in violation of God's Torah, of God's commandments to me as a non-Jew. Now, you're probably not aware of this. There's actually uh, many forms of murder, but we're just going to go into a couple. Did you know that there is intentional murder and there is unintentional murder? For example, if I'm out on a construction job and, and I'm on a roof and I'm uh, hammering uh, a nail into the, uh, uh, to the rooftop and the hammer flies out of my hand, hits a guy in the ground in the head and kills him, that is indeed considered uh, unintentional murder. It's accidental, but it is by God's Torah considered unintentional murder. 
Now, there is another form of murder that you probably have never thought of, and I know I didn't early on, but let's use uh, an example of in the workplace. Uh, you're an employee and you have a, a boss and this boss for whatever reason decides to ridicule you to chew you out in front of other employees uh, and just basically get all over you for something you did or you know maybe you didn't do it but any, in any case he's all over you you're standing there with all these people eyeballing you and what's happening is inside you're welling up with embarrassment. What happens to you physically? You become flush. Your face becomes red. Red, my friends, is the color of blood. And this is actually considered murder because this individual is murdering your character and causing your face to become flush red and it's as good as if they had shot you and just because you're not lying on the floor bleeding all over the place and bleeding to death you are being killed inside and you are being uh, uh, basically killed in front of all of these people by virtue of let's call it character assassination. This is a form of murder. So if you're in the wonderful position of being a boss or an owner of a company or an employee of a company, we must always remember the individuals that we are dealing with. They have honor too. Everyone, all of mankind deserves to be respected. If you've done something wrong, then certainly it needs to be brought to your attention, but not in the fashion that I just described. And we need to remember this, whether you're an employee, whether you're a manager, whether you're the owner of the company, this is an imperative. Same with our kids. Oftentimes, parents, you know, we get emotional, we fly off the handle, and we don't even realize it. The the person that we brought into this world that we love, we are standing before them and assassinating their character. Maybe it's in front of the other kids that you have. Maybe it's in front of the other parent. Maybe it's in front of their, their friends. Maybe it's in front of all the above. Remember, you may not be doing any physical damage to them, but I can assure you those words will do damage for the rest of this individual's life. Please, all of us, it's very important, please remember that. Another very important category, which Hashem told us not to commit, is theft. And this, of course, is against stealing anything. It's against committing robbery. Uh, even to the extent, if I tear down my fence that is that is around my house... I am not entitled to move it one inch over into my neighbor's yard. I cannot move it one measurement at all into my neighbor's yard. That is considered theft. Uh, also, a prohibition in theft is, is against cheating. You can't cheat people out of things. It's considered theft. Uh, you can't repudiate a claim on money owed. So, for example, if I owe you 10 bucks, and six months go by, and I still haven't paid you the $10, and we meet up again, and I, you ask me for the $10 that I owe you, and I say, I don't owe you $10. What do you mean? I, I don't owe you 
That, my friends, is a violation of God's commandment and is considered theft because now I have taken the property of another individual. Uh, It's also a violation if you overcharge people. It's a violation if you covet. It's uh, a violation if you desire. And these are just thoughts. I mean, this is how involved these are. You shouldn't even be thinking of these things. Uh, Also within this category of theft is the uh, a laborer uh, is indeed allowed to uh, eat of the fruit among his work. Now, we're not talking about agriculturally, and this, of course, falls within certain parameters. Um, and there's a couple others here. It's against the laborer eating of such fruit and against the laborer uh, from taking such fruit home. This could mean agriculture, but it's not agriculture in its entirety. What it means is if I'm at work and I take a pen home and don't bring that pen back and leave it at work, I have stolen from my company. It is theft. We're not allowed to do this. Now, if your boss tells you, hey, I know you got a lot of work that you're going to be doing and you're going to be working overtime at home tonight. Here, you know, take this pen to, to, to go ahead and, and do your work then I'm entitled to leave with that pen. But it was a blessing. I didn't take it by way of theft. Now, also, this includes a a violation of uh, kidnapping somebody. It is considered theft. Um, It is against the use of false weights and measures. You can't even own a device that gives false weights and measures. In fact, the bottom line is, is we need to use accurate equipment and also use accurate weights. And also, and finally, that the robber, the person who stole from you, needs to pay for or return the object that they stole. Now, here's one I bet you never thought of. Let's say I'm a businessman, and I have an appointment with you, a business owner, and it's for 3 o'clock, and it's for tomorrow. And I go to your office, and I, I go in, and I'm on time. I'm sitting there. I'm waiting for you, and a half an hour goes by. You're, you're still not back from your lunch. Uh, an hour goes by. You're not back from your lunch. I sit there for an hour and a half, and you don't return. Wouldn't that be considered theft? Didn't you just steal an hour and a half of my life? The answer is yes. So indeed, that would be considered a form of theft. I can see I'm kind of getting backed up to the uh, end of the show here, so I'm going to kind of breeze through some of these other important ones. Uh, For example, justice. Uh, We need to uh, set up courts of justice to appoint judges and officers in each and every community to treat the litigants equally before the law, uh, to inquire diligently into the testimony of a witness against a wanton miscarriage of justice by the court. It is a violation of this. Should a judge do that? Should a police officer do that? So you can see that systems of court and justice are for a purpose. It's so that we rule upon these laws that I'm going over with you right now in an accurate and fair fashion for the sole purpose of living in harmony, of living in peace, and making sure that everybody is doing what is right. 
Now, also, uh, it's a, a, a violation of the court killing an innocent man as a punishment. Uh, it's against the incrimination by circumstantial evidence. I don't have to tell you about that because we see a lot of it going on in, in society today. Let's jump to uh, another category of not to commit adultery. And that one's pretty self-explanatory. Of course, you're not supposed to have sexual relations with another man's wife. That's also considered theft. But it is much more expansive than that. For example, it is a violation for a man to have a union with his mother. It's a violation for a man to have a union with his sister. In fact, it's a violation for a man to have a union with the wife of his father. In other words, your stepmother. Uh, it's uh, against copulating with a beast. In other words, bestiality is out. Uh, lying carnally. For a male to lie, lie carnally with another male is a violation. Lying carnally with his father is a violation. Uh, lying carnally with his father's brother, your uncle, is a violation. And also, it's against engaging in erratic conduct that may lead to a prohibited union. And this is where the laws of modesty would then kick in. So you can see there's a lot more to this than just a violation of adultery. How about not eating the limb of a living animal? You know, you know those things that you call Rocky Mountain oysters or whatever you call them in your neck of the woods that are the product of a castrated bull? Well, my friends, they are not the delicacy you think they are. And it is a violation of God's Torah to eat those. Uh, how about not to blaspheme God's name? We must acknowledge the existence of our Creator, to fear our Creator. Which doesn't mean I'm, I'm scared of Him. I mean, that's one form of fear. But rather having awe of our Creator, to pray to our Creator. We're to sanctify our Creator's name, even in the face of death. It's also a violation to desecrate our Creator's name. And again, even in the face of death. We're to study his Torah, that which is appropriate for non-Jews. We're to honor the Torah scholars and honor and revere our Torah teacher. Well, I can see, folks, and I apologize, I'm really hurting for time here, and uh, we've only been able to scratch the surface. But this is the, the depths that the Noahide laws uh, are. And in terms of if you want to use the term uh, uh, eternal salvation, then that's it. This is what you need to do to have that. If you're looking for your share in the world to come, in, in heaven, then my friends, this is what is necessary to get there. So maybe Jim and I can, uh, in subsequent shows, uh, take a category, take the hour, and just dig into it and really get to the depths we need to to fully understand it. And finally, please remember, folks, that Jim and I are not rabbis and we don't profess to be rabbis. So we would always advise you to seek the knowledge and wisdom of a rabbi if you become confused or if you have any questions. And in the meantime, we, I appreciate you being with us this week on Noahide Nations. Until next week, always look to the heavens for your help because God is there. And he is always looking out for you. 
Shavua Tov from all of us here at Israel National Radio. With Passover approaching, Tour Plus is offering the English-speaking public a fantastic experience in Israel's leading hotels. Tour Plus has an excellent reputation. We pay special attention to kashrut standards, providing glat mahadrin kosher food and shmur matzah in each hotel. Visit us online at www.tourplus.co.il and click on the English button at the top. That's www.tourplus.co.il. Tour Plus for the complete vacation. For the past 40 years, Baruch Nachshon has been creating his colorful paintings in the holy city of Hebron. There's nothing like his paintings. His paintings are one of a kind. Now the picture of your dreams can be in your living room. Click on www.nachshonartstore.com and Baruch's symbolic, surrealist, visionary creations can be yours. You have golden hands, you use them. And he has golden hands. Baruch Nachshon lithographs, posters, books, and more. Bright colorful, intense visions of Hebron, Jerusalem, and other Jewish themes. That's www.nachshonartstore.com Borch Nachshon is a genius in his work. 